Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Kansas native Jeremiah Watkins trained at both the Second City and the Groundlings, and he has become a fixture at the Comedy Store in Los Angeles as part of several trademark shows. Among them, he was one-third of the wave for Roast Battle as it developed and grew from late-night Tuesdays to multiple seasons on Comedy Central. He's still the band leader for Monday's Kill Tony, and for more than eight years, Watkins has hosted an improvised riffing showcase there called Stand Up on the Spot. You also may have seen and heard Watkins as the saxophone-playing roadie for the goddamn Comedy Jam. As a solo artist, he hosts his own podcast, Jeremiah Wonders, and was a new face in Montreal's Just for Laughs in 2018. At the end of 2020, Watkins released his first stand-up special through Comedy Dynamics. Family Reunion really does bring it all back home quite literally for Watkins, as he filmed his special over the 2019 holidays with his family and friends in attendance at the Comedy Club of Kansas City. Watkins joined me in New York City to talk about the special, his career, and more. So let's get to it. So, Jeremiah Watkins, last things first. How did you get snubbed so much in the Comedy Store docuseries? (laughs) You were barely in that. They had five hours and you're barely in it and you're the heart and soul of the comedy store what happened that's very nice of you to say uh i i don't have too much to comment other than uh i'm happy for the people that got uh, included and uh you know hopefully i'll be uh on uh, on a dock in the future <laughs> so you agree jeremiah Watkins snubbed that's the headline of this podcast. No. Um, no, I think like with uh, you know the different eras and stuff that they cover, uh, they only have so much time to uh, do certain things. Uh, there's a lot of people who uh, there wasn't time to. I don't know if there's time or decisions or whatever. But mm-hmm. Gerard Carmichael, same thing. He shot oh, his special right. there. He got a sitcom out of the comedy store. Snubbed. I mean, he wasn't in it at all. So like, I can't like you know me as this a is travesty of justice, right? Me as a comedian, I can't be like I'm, out I, loud. At least I can't be <laughs> be like I should have been this or that because there's a lot of really you know I'm joking. That were, yeah, <laughs> you know I'm joking. I've been hit up by I'm, quite a few comedians. I appreciate your your sincere and serious and serious answer to this question. I've been asked uh, by quite a few people. Oh really? Thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. So oh, that, I was I assumed I was just serious. asking to get a laugh out of you so we could start on a good footing. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's good. Because, I mean, really, you know, the whole reason that you're even not in L.A. right now, we're in New York City, out in the wild, in the ghost town that yeah. is New York City. I mean, it's not a ghost town. It's like... Um, we're in for, a sunny park today. Yeah. It's beautiful outside. No, this is actually what it's normally like in the summer because all of the rich and, and fancy people that we hate go to the Hamptons. Mm-hmm. And so this is what we're just used to. Yeah. But for them, they're like, oh, this is a ghost town. This is great. Yeah. I mean, I mean the helicopter overhead might shoot us down but i mean that's just the scenery that's beautiful today <laughs> the nice helicopters in the distance <laughs> but we're here the sun <laughs> reflecting off the wooden <laughs> boards that are over the shops <laughs> um 
It's nothing like that in my neighborhood, by the way. It's like everything is normal in my neighborhood. It's, really? It's, yeah, it's wild. Um, but we're here to talk about you have your debut solo special. Yes. Family Reunion coming out uh, first week of December 2020. And I watched it. And uh, so obviously you filmed it last year during the holidays. Yep. December of yeah. 2018. I, the Christmas, <laughs> the yeah. Christmas <laughs> decorations were kind of a dead giveaway. Oh, yeah. Was... was was this the plan all along when you went back last year to Kansas City that you were going to shoot a special, or did it just like come together that way? Uh, so originally, what I was going to do, I was I was going I was planning on shooting some kind of like a crowd work special or mm-hmm. something, and then uh, so I planned on interviewing my family and stuff like that. But it was kind of a beautiful disaster what happened with <laughs> some of the shows where. They sat my family right up front, and that was completely unplanned, which, as you know, changes the entire tone and energy of a show when you can see people in your eye lines that you wish were in the darkness so you could just <laughs> kind of do a more of a normal show. But So my mom and her new husband, my stepdad, were on, on one side, and then my dad and his new wife, my, my stepmom, were on the other side. And uh, I was right in the middle. I'm like, like I, surrounded by family. I love that they picked the same show because you were probably there for like four. I did like shows. five shows, and they all came to the one show. I was like, I literally asked them before. I was like, you sure? I was like, they have a lot of different shows over the weekend. They're like, no, no, we're going to this one. I was like, okay. And then of course, the comedy gods <laughs> sat them right in front, like right around me. So it, it ended up some, being something that I found was so special and. It's never going to happen again like that, where right. I was like, I want to document this, and I want to make this into a special. So along with the crowd work that I was already planning on doing, I was like, the pandemic hit. I was, I've was i been more than ready to release some of that material that I had been working on for a while. And I was like, let's let's make it a concept special and, and put something unique out. Yeah, it is, it is very unique. Um, one thing that it made me think about is the idea of... You know, a lot of people, and you're among them, who, like, you grow up in one place, whether it's Kansas or Ohio, and then you go to New York or L.A. because you're in the performing arts, and you become this whole different person. But then when you go back to Ohio or Kansas, your family and your friends may not think of you as, oh, Jeremiah Watkins from The Wave. (laughs) Oh, yeah, a lot of them have no idea. What is... is, so what is that like, especially since you documented it, to have this one life where you're in Los Angeles and you're part of all, part of this giant comedy community, and then you go back? Do you, do you even though you're you know you're filming it, do you still like psychologically revert back to teenage Jeremiah? I will say that um, there's moments maybe early on in the special where you'll see me slowly start to loosen up because you feel that you do feel that pressure of like they remember me one way this is going to be a lot for them like this is going to be eye-opening for them to see kind of where i'm at now and how i don't know more loose and comfortable i am like or just more comfortable with the person who i am now than the version of Jeremiah that they maybe used to know as a teenager, like you're saying. So it's one of those things where I think you'll you see it in the special. Even it's like 15 minutes in. I, I like 10 to 15 minutes in. I really like throw the gloves off. I'm like, this is me. Get used to it. Let's go, people. Like like I know you're <laughs> expecting to see maybe something else, but this is the show. 
<laughs> so what was teenage Jeremiah like? Oh, I was, I mean, I was a very, very, uh, very polite, very, like, I'm still polite and kind, but I would, but to a fault back then where I would not push through for comedy's sake, if that, if that makes sense. So if I, if I got reprimanded in school, then mm-hmm. I'd quickly, you know, be like, okay, so, yeah, sorry. But then as I got older, I was like, well, it's funnier to be more irreverent <laughs> and to push the boundaries more. Right. That's that's what's funny to me. And as you get older, that's something that, you know, continues to do, like with the wave and different stuff right. like that, doing outlandish things on stage. So you, you play the saxophone. Were you, like, in a band in high school or in the marching band in high school? I never did marching band. I was in, uh, I did, I was part of the church band. Okay. Uh, growing up, I would, on Sunday mornings, I would play, well, there was like a, a piano, there was like a trumpet, I think a clarinet. And Kansas City, one of Kansas. Their, Is there a predominant denomination? It's very there? Protestant Christian around there. Okay. So there's a lot of... Um, but like Lutheran or Episcopalian or Baptist, a lot of non-denominational, like that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, so I grew up in a sect of uh, of, of church called uh, Church of God Holiness, which is like a little bit more strict than Baptist. Okay. Yeah. So you had short hair. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> short hair played in the church band. Uh huh. Didn't want to get out of line. I mean, you right. kind of did, but whenever you got caught, you. Yeah, you fell into line. That's why, like, when when it would come to people voting for class clowns and stuff, I would never get it in you know middle school or high school because I never took it to uh, the limits of how crazy you know the other kids were. They would do anything for a laugh. Right, you were holding back. I was holding back. When when was the first time you you didn't hold back? Uh, I remember starting to not hold back around eighth grade on, uh, I started going to public school and that's how I started fitting in with people because up until eighth grade, I was at a Christian private school and that's when I was very, very by the book. Like if I got in trouble, I'd shut up real quick. And the book was the Bible. And the book was the Bible. Exactly. <laughs> by the book. Was a and the book, book. was the <laughs> But when I got to eighth grade, that was something where that's how I started making new friends in the public school setting. Like I didn't have much in common with them as far as background went, but you know, comedy is so universal. That's how I started connecting with people. And they're like, this is the new guy. He's funny. Like that's how I was getting introduced to people and it felt good. And, okay. and that's kind of how I started you know, working on my chops slowly as uh, somebody pursuing comedy. Were you, were you uh, discovering your, your talent for impersonation back that then, or did that come later? On. No, that was like that was me. Like uh, I remember being a very very little kid and having the ability to mimic. And like my parents or like my uncle and aunt would be like, "Do this cartoon voice or something." Mm-hmm. Like that that I had an ear for that at a very young age. Who was their favorite voice? Um, I mean, I would do, do I would do like Michael Jackson and like Yogi Bear and different stuff, like like random, <laughs> random stuff. You know what I mean? My arsenal of impressions were so weird. Like, mm-hmm. I used to squeeze my balls as <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> Wait, that's not a <laughs> hey, Michael Jackson. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> and I like, you know that dumb stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, but I remember committing even so hard back then that I remember my balls hurting for long after. Like, I wouldn't fake it. I would really go for him. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? That's, but that's me in a nutshell. I really... <laughs> nutshell. Exactly. <laughs> I was hoping you'd pick up on that. <laughs> so then after high school, did you stick around Kansas or did you... 
I did two years at a community college. My parents. Very I'm very much, careful to say Kansas and not Missouri. Right, I know. Well, that's part of the special. I mean, people get very offended uh, whether which Kansas City you decide. It is Kansas City. I mean, once you said it out loud, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, here there's like a West New York, New Jersey, which is Right. Weird. It's like, what is that? Yeah. Like, why? Okay, but so, so after high school. Right after high school, I did two years at a community college. Shout out to Johnson County Community College. Shout out, uh, Johnson. Did you go? What up? Got my associate's degree there, and while I was going, I, so I was, it's one of the busiest times of my life because I was doing morning radio in Kansas City, then I was doing, uh, I was working at a car wash right after that, and then I would go to night school, and I would have about one hour, an hour and a half to nap, eat, and then go to night school, and that was every day of the week. How did you get into the morning radio? That was an interesting thing where they were, because I was the youngest person by far in morning radio. Uh, it, it worked out perfectly where they were on a hunt for their next man on the street kind of thing. Okay. And I, there was a contest that they let people submit videos for and everything. And I saw it like a week late and I was so bummed because the contest was over. And I emailed the email that was attached. I was like, hey, I'm really sorry. I'm just now discovering this. Is there any way that I could still submit a video? And they were like, yeah, we're still looking, actually. I sent in um, one of my comedy music videos at the time. It was called A Love Ballad for Oprah, where it was a music video of me professing my love for Oprah. And uh, the guy loved it. He, he called me in to interview. And then he's like, all right, I'm going to audition you. Here's like a Zoom. He literally gave me a Zoom like mm -hmm. from the, the radio station to go out and get interviews from people to get funny sound bites. Came back. He loved that. And uh, the girl who was doing the on-screen calling and stuff like that, she quit. And he's like, well, I was going to just have you be man on the street, but do you want to screen calls and be an on-air personality? I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Like I literally was right place, right time. Mm -hmm. and luckily, I did the other auditions well. And I just joined the morning show, and I did that for like a uh, year and a half or so. And my on-air name was Stedman, because of Oprah. Oh, because Oprah of Oprah. Winfrey. Yeah, because your love. Yeah. <laughs> Only Stedman could match your love for exactly. Oprah. Exactly. How long did you stick around in radio? That was just from the like, about it was about a year and a half in total. I was on air for about nine months, I believe, uh, and then my boss got fired and. The new lady that came in said, because you worked for him, you'll never work for me. That's the uh, like, yeah, old yeah. school radio lines. Like, She's like, you're literally, you're never going to be on air. And that was a great push and motivation for me to get out of radio in Kansas City because I was like, oh, this is a dead end. This is like, I've been told this is a dead end. But you didn't think of radio in other cities, or did you? I thought about it, but I wanted to go to L.A., Chicago, or New York. So when I moved to L.A., I tried to get like uh, a radio position but it was one of those things where I quickly realized that I had gotten so fortunate at a young age in Kansas City that when I was sending emails and stuff they're like no you gotta work your way up for like years <laughs> I had like I had cut the line big time and, right. I, and I kind of it was a harsh realization once I moved to LA that this was a very unique thing that happened and it wasn't gonna happen again so did you have a plan B or did you have to formulate one when I moved out to L.A., I knew that I was going to uh, sign up for classes at Second City, and I knew that I was going to start stand-up comedy out in L.A. And they just seemed to have the best of everything that I was wanting to be able to do, like audition for commercials, movies, TV, all that stuff. So that's why L.A. became my, my choice. So then why then in L.A., why Second City over, say, the Groundlings or 
I.O. at the time or UCB? Just mainly the alumni that came from Second City were some of my favorite comedians. Mm -hmm. uh, Even though it's Second City L.A. you were talking about, not Second City Chicago. Yeah. I When I went out there, I went on a road trip with some friends uh, earlier in that of the summer of 2009 to check out places and to try to see if I could land like a place through Craigslist out here. I went to Second City and... Uh, I talked to them about the classes and stuff like that, and they're like, yeah, like, basically, all the teachers that we have here are alumni from the main stage in Chicago, which ended up being 100% true. My, the teachers that I had were all beasts of comedians. Like, I learned from some of the best improvisers. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in my head, I was like, I don't need to go to Chicago. They literally just graduated the program, and then they're going to teach me? That seems like I'm, you know, right. getting the best of everything. So, that was kind of, like, my thinking behind that. But you were thinking stand-up, not I'm going to use these talents to get on Saturday Night Live or be a or be on a sitcom. You're like thinking stand-up. I was thinking. Well, I had to make a decision like a couple years into living in LA whether or not I was going to fully immerse myself in stand-up or improv because, mm -hmm. as you know, you can't really do both full time. It's you get very mediocre at two things. <laughs> so I ended up choosing stand-up because I can improvise within my stand-up, which, you know, which you saw within the special. Like, I, I, I riff a lot. I do a lot of crowd work and stuff like that. And that I'm kind of like a one-man improv team as far as that goes. And were you with your wife at the time already? or I met her at Second City. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Another great thing about Second City LA that <laughs> they worked out. Okay, so then I guess the obvious question is how did you decide, did you decide to get in at the Comedy Store or was it just happenstance that you fell into that community? No, that was, uh, that was very decisive. That was, a, that was a plan that took a very long time. And me, and still not as long as some other people uh, it took. I'm still grateful for the amount of time. Like, it basically took me from the open mic level to paid regular level where I'm at right now, like name on the wall, being able to park in the lot, all that stuff, like five and a half years of like, but that was going almost every day of the week. It was working my way up, for, way up from nothing on the open mic list to the friends and employees, like friends and family section to mm -hmm. uh, being a paid regular. And I had to showcase three times before I got it on the third time. And there was a year in between each showcase. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you didn't work there. You weren't like a door I guy. I didn't. I got offered a job there at one point, but I, uh, the old talent coordinator, I told him I said Tommy? No. Uh-huh. I said, no disrespect, but I just don't think that that's my path. And he goes, and that's okay. He goes, whenever, when I was offering you this, he goes, I, you, like, I'm not, it's not going to affect your spots or anything. So he was actually cool about that. He's like, if you need the job and you want the job, I'll give it to you. But if you don't want it, I understand. I said, I don't think that's my personal path. Uh, I think I'm just going to try to do it just through just how I've been doing it through repetition and just like trying to get up and kill as hard as I can each time I go up and then it eventually happened that way. So what were you doing for work instead of instead so, of hanging out at the store? I was working at Starbucks the first two and a half years that I worked in LA, which is still my least favorite job I've ever had. It's just brutal. In Beverly Hills, the worst clientele, the worst kind of customers that you can think of. Mm-hmm. And me being an absolute horrible barista. I was never good at that job. Like, I would sweat more having people watch me make mm -hmm. their coffee than I ever have on stage. It's something about it, like, me knowing 
that I was bad made mm-hmm. it so much worse. Where comedy, like, at, even when we're bombing, we're like, but I have good nights. I'm like, I never have good nights here at Starbucks. Like, I'm bad every day. I understand why they're upset with me. I don't want to be here. I it don't was, know how to put foam. I don't know. Dude, it was just such a mess. They just. They, I don't know the difference between almond milk and soy milk. Yeah. I, <laughs> just everything. Like, it was. I was so slow. Like, they were... Luckily, oh, well, I, I guess speed is probably, like, the, oh, it was the even more of a thing. Oh, it was, that was the main thing that was, like, horrible about it was I was so slow at the job that I had a couple saviors of girls who worked there that were so nice to me. They said, Jeremiah, they basically were like, we know you're not, this isn't, like, your strength. They're like, keep making us laugh, and we'll take care of you. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll clean up the, the odd ends around you. Did you, get, did you get fired from that, or did you quit? No, I left on very good terms. Um... I, uh, I put in my two weeks and everything, and the thing that allowed me to leave there was I booked uh, a national Chevy commercial, oh. and it played like during the World Series in 2012. Oh wow! Okay, and it was great. Like it literally, like, like my family kept being like, "What are you gonna spend the money on?" And I was like, "Nothing. I'm saving it because I am gonna use this to launch me in comedy." So it paid my bills. And everything exactly for one year. So it gave me one year to try to make connections to get on the road and start like hosting and featuring for people. And I just started saving and I didn't spend any of it and it paid my bills for a year. And that allowed me to pursue comedy full time. So then, fast forward one year later, what was your career like after having that year? It was a lot of, it was just so much hustling, random gigs. Uh, doing some video editing here and there, doing uh, just random stand-up gigs, taking anything I could for bar shows on the road, opening. There's some people who were very good uh, to me, like taking me on the road, like Bobby Lee and Jeff Ross, and later on Tony Hinchcliffe took me on the road a bunch, and that's how I was able to survive and keep living as a comic was I was getting on the road just enough, like and scraping by barely where I was able to keep my head above water. So then what was the first what was the first thing that happened for you at the store was it becoming a paid regular or was it one of those themed shows like Roast Battle or Goddamn Comedy Jam or Oh yeah it was it was um it was actually Roast Battle and Kill Tony where I started to be kind of associated with the store where people are like oh that's a guy who does the sh- the shows the themed shows mm-hmm. uh, and I'd been doing my show stand up on the spot uh, meanwhile, all around town in L.A. at Second City, I did it at the Improv and the Comedy Store at one point, and then it, its home was at this little the, it's little theater row in Santa Monica and then this bar called Three Clubs. And while that was going on, I was getting still amazing lineups at these bar shows. Joe Rogan used to come to my mm-hmm. bar show to do it uh, at Three Clubs, which was – and, like, you'd, you'd have these crazy lineups in this back room of a bar, and it only held, like, 50 people. So stand-up on the spot was the first? That's my very first thing, because that show's been going on over 10 years. I started oh, wow, okay. that at Second City. And that, you know, naturally goes back to your improv skills. Is, yeah. Well, let's just go up there without Yeah, no without plans. material. Let's just yeah. get suggestions and work off the crowd. Yeah, so that was the first thing. Also, that was a great way for me to meet uh, and introduce myself to comics that I like, because I would reach out, I'd email them. I remember Ari Shafir was one of the first comics that agreed to do the show that was, like, of a higher caliber comic that wasn't in my circle. And that was, like, a huge deal to me that he was even down to do it. And he loved the show, and he told people about it. And right, because in 2010, you 
didn't even have that Chevy commercial yet. I know. Yeah. It was very much just like just trying <laughs> You're to You're just get, another hustling just trying to hustling I, did, Hollywood I hosted comic. a lot of open mics and I, I used to to run a lot of my own shows back then because that was that's starting out that's the only way like you're not going to get booked really very much like unless you run your own shows mm-hmm. so i would just you know host them and then i'd try to book as killer lineups as possible and i never traded spots which hurt me sometimes but i in the long run i'm really glad that i never did that um how did the roast battle initially have a wave at the like when very, it first started at the very very the very very beginning no and then it organically went into uh it was literally like a corner of black comedians who would stand up and go whoa it used to be like big it used to be like eight people or so and then um they were down a guy one night uh and jack knight at the time and jamar were there they're like do you want to fill in i was like yeah sure moses has been begging me to to come check out the show he's like not begging me, but he's like, <laughs> he, he's like, uh, he, he kept being like, bro, like, I know you'll love my show. And, you know, a lot of comedians say that, like, you'll love my show. And you kind of like, there's so many shows out there that you're like, kind of write it off. Mm-hmm. Even when they're friends, you're like, oh, yeah, I'll get around to it, dude. And, like, my wife was, like, out of town one night. I was like, all right, dude, I'm, I'm there. Like, I'm, I, that was usually, like, my date night on Tuesday because there used to be nothing in L.A. on right. Tuesdays. So I was like, this is our date night. Uh so I went, and it just it just clicked with those guys, and then it evolved into what later became, uh, like what I brought to it, was more planned like vignettes and act outs rather than just being crazy, just more like right. seeing something visual, like something that's quick, right with the props, and- with the props and everything. So that's where it evolved to me, Jamar Neighbors, and Willie Hunter, like kind of fine-tuning what that animal was right did you already have most of those props or did you go and buy those no dude (laughs) the amount of props and wigs that i have acquired from over 11 years of being in la now it's Mm -hmm. starting to get so crazy like i've got bins full of stuff and Mm -hmm. i've had to go through and organize and label everything and there's there's literally probably thousands of dollars worth of roast battle stuff that's that it went in the trash because we destroyed it. We literally every week would go to the dollar store, pick up random stuff, see what we could make comedy out of, and then they would get destroyed and we'd throw it out that later that night. <laughs> uh, you're talking about, like we were talking earlier about like being known as the theme guy, and I have to admit, like when I first encountered you, it was through those shows because was it the same year that. Roast Battle and Goddamn Comedy Jam went to Montreal and then also to New York? Yes. That was all in the same year. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, oh, that's for years. And so I saw you, like, as part of, and you, like, that, yeah, that first year in New York, there were, like, so many other people because, like, Earl Skakel and somebody else was, like, part of, like, this and uptight white. Whitney, Whitney Rice were uptight the, uh, white people. They or, were the, uh, there was they the, were the, the racist corner. Yeah, there was, like, <laughs> there were so many extra people. There's a lot of elements. Yeah, yeah. In that earlier version sure. of Rose Bell. But then yeah. Goddamn Comedy Jam, like, you were the saxophone guy and, mm-hmm. and also, Mosh like, the hype the master. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hyping up with Johnny Scordis. Yeah. So. So knowing that there were like people like me, press slash industry people who were like experiencing you that way, how difficult was it for you to like establish your own unique identity outside of that? You know, it, it's still it honestly I, I've been working on it 
for years and it's still a challenge and that's why I'm excited about this special is it's a way for me to be like okay you don't know my stand up at all go mm -hmm. check out my special you know because what I do in that special is very similar to what I do on the road where it's a lot of material but it's also a lot of riffing and working off the, that crowd's energy on that particular show night so it's very tailored I tailor each show to the energy of that crowd uh, so I'm very happy with how the special turned out in that way because I'm very much I feel a good version of myself because some comedians you watch their specials and you're like I've seen them they're usually way more loose than this they're you know what I mean like it's comedians performing in a fancy theater it's like dude that that's not even a, a guy who does theaters very often why would he shoot a special there so I stayed in the <laughs> comedy it's a club fancy setting. occasion I know I know I mean yeah it's 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 daring to pick a half-packed club in Kansas City <laughs> I know dude that's I mean that's why I go for it I, I take risks I go for it speaking of that I guess I almost forgot to ask you about performing during COVID and I know mm -hmm. you wrote about it yeah and allowed me to share that on my website but but tell me like what that's like because a lot of people still don't know yeah there's I mean a good portion of comedians have not gone on the road at all um, because they're obviously they are scared for the different purposes and reasons of what's going on with the virus that's the pandemic that's hit uh, I am just hyper aware of when I'm on planes and stuff of making sure that anytime I touch something I use hand sanitizer right after it's just being hyper aware to not touch your face and your eyes and just what they're saying to you but like really putting that in your head and I don't do I haven't been doing the meet and greets I've been doing this like kind of fun Q&A thing from the stage where it's kind of a town hall thing where people mm -hmm. can shout stuff out or ask questions for about five minutes before I close out the end of the show and that's you know people understand like I've, I've got my wife at home and a baby on the way it's one of those things where that's even me being daring out being out at all like like but since I'm taking the precautions I've had good luck knock on wood so far so but then like what's it been like performing because you know people already at the start of 2020 were like you know whether you're talking about politics uh which who knows what it's going to be the like crowds have even between been... the us recording and us and me uploading this but you know there's the general politics of america right now there's yeah. the um subset of politics within comedy where people uh argue about what you can and can't say and have very strong opinions one way or the other and then you add the pandemic on top of all that the crowds have actually been really good because they need a release they're very grateful for like every show that i've gone on the road each crowd has been very grateful because they know that it's such an obstacle for me to get there and they know even if they have no idea who i am when they get to know me through the hour they realize, oh, he came all the way from L.A. to be here. He's giving me everything I've got. It is a half-packed room, which I'm very... That's that's the thing. I'm so used to doing shows with a limited capacity because I'm a late-night comic at the OR. So I thrive in weird situations because I've been thrown in those situations so much. So my special, there's literally... It's not even sold out for my special which like comedians would be a lot of comedians would be like that sounds like a nightmare dude like why would you do that to yourself right why would you not let your like you know why would you not wait to do a theater where it's sold out and you get all the applause breaks exactly where you want and everything i'm like that's just not realistic to 
being somebody who goes on the road all the time, I'll do stuff that kills some places and it gets hardly anything somewhere else because it's a lower capacity crowd and you have to keep pushing through and that's what I, I think that's raw and organic about the specials. You really feel like you're in a comedy club. You really feel like, oh, I'm getting this, the comedy club experience right, right. now. Does, you mentioned having a child on the way. Congratulations. Thank you. Does, does impending fatherhood change your goals or your outlook on, yeah, on what, you, uh, what you see for your future or what you want to see for your future? Uh, I think that the goals are similar but a little bit more focused. Like you said, I have been known to be like a themed show guy for a long time. And as the years go on, I'm really going to have to be more selective on what shows I'm a part of and when I need to cut ties with certain things. Uh, with Roast Battle, um, I we haven't been doing the wave for a while now with Roast Battle because right. me, Jamar, and Willie, we've been fortunate enough to be busy in some other areas and been focusing more on our individual stand-up careers and stuff like that. And um, the comedy jam is less often, and I'm, I'm still doing Kill Tony weekly. Um, but that's that's also one of those things eventually, like, you know, I'll have to make a decision whether or not I keep doing that or, you know, or if it's something that down the line that I should maybe focus that energy in something else, like with more of my, like my solo characters and stuff like that. So that's, that's stuff that I'll, like, as I become a father and I become, uh, you know, longer out here, I'll have to be a little bit more decisive on what I choose to do with my time. Well, on that note, thank you for spending some time with me. Yeah. Um, this is not quite a family reunion, but it feels like it that because we're, we're, in, we're in comedy, so anything Dude, like this feels like a reunion. I saw you walking up to the park, and I got so happy because it's so nice to see a good, friendly, familiar face in these weird times, you know? This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Gigglechick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.